Hey, really quickly, just wanted to let you know that the Inspiring Talk podcast is now available in video format on YouTube. If you'd like to watch this conversation, you can head on to our YouTube channel, Bizay Gautam. While you are at it, show us some love and subscribe to the channel so that you won't miss the upcoming episodes. I'll put the link in the description of this episode. Don't grow because you think you need to be better. Grow because you love to grow. Once you both have, the point of a conflict is not to win or lose. Mm. It's just to understand. Mm. And when you understand, it's an amazing seed for growth. Again, just think back to as a baby, you know, imagine if you were just put into one side and not cared for, you were different. You wouldn't have grown. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't be here. So it's so deep within our physiology, our psyche, that that's very important. See, self-compassion, it separates the person and the behavior. This is what self-compassion does. Mm. It doesn't say you are wrong. You are a problem. Mm. You are not good enough. It says, okay, BJ, that behavior, it could have been better. Awareness of suffering. Mm. From Wine Studio, you are listening to The Inspiring Talk, a show where I bring the conversations with today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you take your life, business and career to the next level. I'm Vijay Gautam and in today's episode, I chat with Dr. Nilesh Satguru on how compassion can transform relationships, careers and businesses. Dr. Nilesh is a high-performance coach to award-winning founders, serial entrepreneurs, executives and artists. Nilesh helps them go beyond their best to become compassionate, high performers. What I found unique about his work is how he married compassion with high performance to help entrepreneurs, leaders and professionals. His work has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine in addition to Influensive, Brains and Disrupt. In this episode, you will learn how compassion can help you improve your relationship with your partner and people around you. How compassion is different from empathy. We also discuss how we can be self-compassionate and ambitious at the same time. How to get rid of anxiety and stress with compassion. After listening to this episode, you will realize how powerful compassion can be in transforming your life. I'm not even kidding when I say the ideas Nilesh shared in this episode blew my mind. Let's dive in. Nilesh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, BJ. I love your energy. Thank you so much uh, for being here. And uh, as I was telling you offline, I reached out to Shamil, whose episode was really, really appreciated in this podcast and said, Shamil, is there someone whom I should bring on the podcast? And he said, hey, you know what, Dr. Nilesh, you know, you need to get him on your podcast because he's just amazing with everything that he does. So I'm going to jump straight into this. And Nilesh, your work in the past few years is completely focused on compassion and are tying that with high performance. So I want to, in this episode, talk everything about compassion and what it is and how it really can help us get better in our life. So why don't we begin with understanding of like, what is compassion? Like, other than it's a beautiful word that I love, what exactly is compassion? What do we mean when we say compassion? 
So the best way I can describe this is a very simple analogy. I can give you the, the definition as well in a minute. But compassion sits innate within, in, within every single one of our bodies, our beings, our hearts. And it's a desire to show an awareness of other people's suffering, challenges, and the intention to relieve that. So when a mother cares for a child, that is the essence of compassion. It's innate within us. The last thing I say is, without compassion, you would not be here. If your caregivers had no compassion for you, you would not have been nurtured, you would not have been loved, you would not have been cared for, you could not have grown. And we'll get onto this later, but I had a great conversation with a neuroscientist last night, and now we understand more and more that compassion leads to neuroplasticity, growth mindset. So I know that's going to be really exciting for all your listeners. So you're saying that, you know, compassion is gonna help with the neuroplasticity. Like, let's get into that, okay? What happens on our brain when we are being compassionate, when we are thinking of others? Or, like you said, compassion being an intention to help make someone else's life better or help alleviate the pain of someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And when I use compassion, BJ, I use it in both senses of the word. I use it in self-compassion towards ourselves, Because remember, the heart it needs to fill its own coronary arteries before it pumps blood out to the rest of the body. And we are exactly the same. Compassion for ourselves first, and then compassion for others. Um, yeah, we'll get into the neuroscience, but like I said, definition is showing an awareness of suffering and taking action to relieve that suffering, whether that's for you or someone else. How does this lead to neuroplasticity? Well, it's truly fascinating, but essentially what we know from studies is that shame... The voice of self-criticism, self-blame, self-loathing shuts off the learning centers of our brain. Think about it. If you think about the basic physiology of mammals, of humans like us, and we have our nervous system split into two, we have fight or flight, and we have rest and digest. Now, we are not usually growing if we're in a state of perpetual stress. And so the way our, our brain and our bodies manage our emotional systems, that basically makes your mind more flexible, more malleable, and as a consequence, leaves more room for growth and development. Got it. And you mentioned about self-criticism and shame. Why do you think we criticize ourselves a lot? If we really look at the amount of criticism that we do to ourselves versus we do to someone else, it's always that we criticize ourselves normally, like, you know, way more than we do to someone else. We are not with, too kind with words when it comes to ourselves. Like, why do you think we are so critical of ourselves all the time? Fantastic question. And I just want to share a story with all of your listeners, because I've been really blessed to work from everybody who's suffering with addiction and mental health problems. When I was a doctor, people who were suicidal, to people who have built, you know, million pound businesses, multiple businesses, people who have been in Olympic weightlifting teams, uh, people who have authored books, and everybody criticizes themselves, no matter what anyone says, once you become aware of it, once you actually become mindful of your thoughts, you realize that this is what makes us human. And why? Well, because our mind is wired to keep us safe. So the first thing to know and to do is to say the 
this isn't a bad thing. I want you to just say this one simple phrase, just like me. Just like me, that person criticizes themselves. Just like me, that person struggles. Just like me, that person is going through hard times. And you see, if you think about, I'm not Buddhist, but I love to go back to the ancient wisdom roots. And if you think about Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist psychology, it says any negative emotion we feel, whether it's shame, blame, anger, fear, worry, it all stems from us feeling separate. So do you see with that phrase, just like me, you no longer feel separate in that moment. And this is the essence of compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. You know, one of the most powerful things, BJ, I'm sure you know this, uh, running uh, a podcast and having a community, one of the most powerful things for behavioral change is having people around you who are going through the same changes as you, right? I imagine that's why you set this up. Absolutely. Yeah. And to what you've said, every single time when I started out, I used to feel like, hey, I'm no good at all. And here are these amazing people that I'm getting to have conversation with. And the more and more people I started having conversation with, and when I started going a layer deeper beyond just the surface level and started scratching a little deeper and, and understand people a layer deeper. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm not alone. Like you said, like, just like me, this person is a billionaire, but this person has is critical of themselves as well. You know, this person is such an amazing artist. You know, there are like millions of people celebrating uh, this person, but this person doubts himself or herself as well, right? And, and you know, I can't completely agree to what you've said, like, you know, hey, um, just like me. Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how powerful that phrase is. And this, this aligns to something in the psychological research from Professor Kristen Neff, who's one of the pioneers of self-compassion. It's something called common humanity, which is an essential truth that we all struggle, we all have setbacks, we all suffer. And that's what connects our human experience. So we no longer have to attach a negative meaning to our struggles anymore. Again, the best analogy I can use from Buddhist texts is that the lotus flower, the beautiful lotus flower, it cannot be sustained without the mud that sits underneath it. So now when you're in traffic or, you know, you don't make that sale or you get rejected in your love life, you stop looking at the mud as a bad thing and you start looking at it as an opportunity for personal transformation and growth. And I will dive into stories. I mean, there's essentially four huge stories that shaped who I was and got into this. Um, a patient complaint, my son's developmental challenges, my father's chronic illnesses and his death and, and me resigning from a, a medical practice. I had 37 years of job security. But the one that really opened my eyes to the power of compassion was this patient complaint. And in essence, I was working as a medical doctor in the UK and I was stressed, BJ. I was so stressed. I was frustrated. I was like a caged animal working there because I saw that it took 33 days for a patient to see the doctor routinely. If it wasn't urgent, you had to wait 33 days in this surgery. And it really affected me. I didn't like it. So I was trying to lead this change in the appointment system. But my clinical compassion was actually reducing. And there was one event, one lady came in in her 50s and she, I saw something that day that needed urgent attention. And when you say your clinical compassion was uh, decreasing, is it because you saw so many cases on a day to day basis, it started becoming routine for you? Yeah, that could be one of the reasons. I also genuinely believe that it was kind of, the system was molding it out of me. I was allowing myself to be molded by the system, which exactly as you said, was thinking about 
seeing people faster, more people doing things at pace and at speed without care. I'll never forget this, this, this patient because, um, they were a high functioning entrepreneur and they had headaches and they could see something in their vision with these headaches. So I thought, right, that needs to be attended to today by the eye hospital. So I sent them to the eye hospital. But the truth is, I didn't really show awareness of their suffering. I didn't understand the meaning of their circumstances. And I didn't take action to relieve their specific suffering. These are the, this is the essence of compassion. And the patient wrote a really nasty complaint about me. And so I sat there in reflection because I didn't like the person I was becoming. And that was the most powerful seed for growth. After that, I was on a mission to to learn about compassion, to meditate on compassion, to bring it into my daily life. And also it, it led me to the conclusion that really it is the ultimate skill, whether you're healing from suffering or whether you're into personal transformation, it really is the ultimate skill. So Nilesh, what's the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion? Like how are they different? Yeah, thank you so much for asking this question because it is a real important difference. And I think Whenever I think what I was describing a little bit in my medical work, I was too much focused on empathy and sometimes sympathy and not compassion. And actually, that was leading me to burnout. So this is, again, this is based in the psychological research uh, and it, it's, it's based on neuroscience. And again, we can, we can use an analogy. So if you saw someone drowning in the water and you jumped in to save them, but you didn't know how to swim, then you too would start drowning. That, that in essence, is sympathy. It's when you are physically moved by someone else's pain and suffering, but you don't really, you don't really act on it. Um, you definitely don't really think about it from their perspective. You're just physically moved by their suffering. It's important sympathy. I'm not saying that it's not important. Empathy is you sitting on the side of the, um, of the pier where the person's jumped into the water. And you imagine, oh my gosh, this must be really difficult for them because they're suffering in the water and they're drowning. But you don't act. You're just imagining. Maybe you are feeling the, you know, like how they must be feeling and you might be taking on that emotion thing, but you haven't done anything. Correct. Correct. You are there with them, but you haven't done anything. And you're imagining. This is the other really important thing that we see in the research is that empathy is actually effortful. Right. So it takes you to actually think in their shoes. How must they be feeling? How it, it's, it's not something that happens completely naturally, although it's an important skill. Now, compassion is you doing the empathy, feeling it, seeing that they're suffering, imagining how much it must be a challenge and you offering a hand. Now, this is where it gets really exciting. And I get really excited about the science, but there's a different brain signature to empathy and compassion. And this is based on research from the Max Planck Institute in Germany. So they train people in empathy, they train people in compassion, and they put them through these amazing things called functional MRI scanners, whilst showing them images of people's faces who are suffering. And essentially what they found is that the people who are trained in compassion, the area of the brain that lit up is the areas associated with joy, reward, care, and love. Whereas empathy, the area of the brains that lit up is what's associated with suffering. So it's so incredibly powerful. There's a joy in giving. There's a joy in helping that sits innate within our core. And that's what compassion taps into. That's beautifully explained. And you are saying that 
giving the joy of giving and i think how we feel when we do something for someone else is also sort of associated with what you have just shared right maybe the same part of brain you know sort of get activated when we are doing something for someone else now you know you are not just feeling for someone else but you are also doing something to alleviate the pain or help them get out of um you know out of that situation uh nilesh you talk about compassionate change maker what does that mean who is a compassionate change maker is it somebody who helps alleviate someone else's pain by not only empathizing but also taking action and sort of help someone else to get out of that pain yeah well i'm so glad you asked this question when i was off on this mission to elevate entrepreneurs and change makers to their best by helping them better care for themselves their staff and their families i started to interview people just like you and i started to look for these core characteristics because compassion was amazing however i would find that let's say some people who were really compassionate they were very intuitive but the fact that they were so intuitive meant that they were helping so many different people that it wasn't really in a focused direction it wasn't like this is my niche this is how i help people this is this is how i go deep so i can make a profound difference but i did find these these amazing groups of people and usually in the wellness or personal growth industry just like you who the way i like to describe them is there's someone who's focused on creating a loving dent in the universe so they have a clear direction whatever that may be you know this this could be through through the way that they express their artwork or the way they do music or it could be even someone who's an executive let's say the way they manage their team but it's all motivated like i say by love by the absolute love of giving helping people and often people look at them and they go oh my god how do you have the energy to do that how have you done that and they turn around and they say because i love it <laughs> you know and so these these people um shamla was one of them so are you all of you you beautiful people who are focused on serving others by creating a loving dent in the universe that's a compassionate change maker nirish to the you know previous context of how empathy and compassion is um sort of different in the terms that you take some action to help the person alleviate the pain right and the suffering and now i want to talk from not from like a physical uh, suffering where you can help somebody by maybe you know extending your resources maybe you know that could be your time or that could be your energy or that could be your money that's the one thing right so more from the perspective of like self growth where i need something that i need to heal so i'll i'll take an example right i had a friend who struggled big time with alcoholism and he knew that he needed to get out of it and i tried to you know be as empathetic as possible i tried to like obviously i'm not an expert who can help him come out of it like i'm not a doctor or i'm i don't have any resources to help him come out of that but like i tried my best to sort of direct him to people or the resources who can help him to get out of that situation right don't you think it's the responsibility of the person to i'm talking completely from the you know personal growth perspective is it not the person's responsibility to sort of work on alleviating their own suffering and unless the person is willing to no matter how hard you try to help someone you will not be able to help that person no matter how compassionate you might be unless the person is willing to 
don't you think it's the responsibility of the person? It's such a beautiful question. And I'm going to challenge you because um, I think often when we come into conflicts, both parties are right. But I'm going to challenge your vocabulary. And this is something that I love to do because I, and I'm open to you doing it to me too, because sometimes these words slip out. When you said you're trying to help someone, what do you feel when you say that? When you're trying to help someone, is it effortful or is it effortless? Is it something that you're loving doing? Or is it something that you're resisting? You're fighting against it. You're wanting something and you're clinging onto a perceived result that is out of our hands. So you are right. Your wound isn't your fault, but your healing is your responsibility. Absolutely. However, what many of us suffer with, and this is, you know, let, let me share, let me share a story. So I have a, an, an amazing client who I've been working with now for almost two years. Now he came from a very rough background, yet he has achieved phenomenal things in business success. He's got multiple businesses in property and in hospitality. And on the outside, he's somebody who's made it, but he came from a violent you know, when he was younger, the house wasn't violent, but his, you know, his friends were, he was in that kind of mentality. And I'm talking to him about compassion. Now you can imagine, uh, this, this person's a really large, well-built man in his fifties. And I'm talking to him about compassion because what still bothers a lot of us is other people's emotional reactions. The most compassionate thing you can learn to do is to sit in an uncomfortable space with somebody whilst they're suffering and just give them your loving, connected presence and attention. Now, I'm not going to claim that this is easy, but I know from a neuroscience perspective, what we said at the start, when you are around people who make you feel calm, connected, cared for, you can start to learn these practices. So what happened? Well, look, with this, with this client, he had become estranged from two or three, he has seven children. He'd become estranged from two or three of the children. You can imagine how painful that is. Now we meet frequently. We talk about compassion. I am there to essentially challenge his thinking, make him see things that he can't see in himself, reconsolidate memories and say, you know, are you sure you want to see it that way? Well, he's healed nearly all of his family relationships from going from not talking to them to talking to them. And in his testimonial, he said, you can't put a price on those things. And this is, a, this is the real power of compassion. You know, when I was working as a doctor, I see people at the end of their lives, BJ. They would say that they, there's, there are a lot of different regrets. I know there's a book on this, but this is my personal experience. The two things that people would say that they regretted the most was, number one, they didn't heal painful family relationships. And number two, they didn't have the courage to follow your dreams. And, you know, compassion helps you do both of those things. Mm -hmm. I'll come to how compassion helps somebody to heal those relationships and uh, accomplish any goals or, you know, chasing the dream. But before that, you know, you mentioned about self-compassion. Is it possible for somebody to be compassionate for someone else without being compassionate to yourself first? Absolutely. 100%. In fact, most of us don't have to try to be compassionate with other people. We are innately compassionate. It's been with us since we're, we're born and especially to our family. But what is a real struggle is remember when we are completely dependent as children, there is no self-compassion because we're completely dependent. But as we grow up, we learn to be the compassionate presence that our parents were for ourselves. And it is 
there, there are some myths about self-compassion. I'd like to share a few of them now because they're really important. Okay. I'm just going to go out and just list them all off. And I know this might trigger some people, but I say it with love because it's important that we change the way we think about it. And again, this isn't just my opinion. This is based in research. Okay. This is based in research from the States and the UK and esteemed universities. Number one, self-compassion is not weak. Self-compassion is not unambitious or lazy. Self-compassion is not selfish. It is not self-indulgent. And these are really the, what sits at the essence of self-compassion. Last of all, you're not going to be judged for being self-compassionate. And I would say if you are, then, you know, that's usually because of people wishing that they could be more compassionate with themselves and they're watching you and they're wishing for that. So these are the myths that people must, that, that we all, and every day I challenge these for myself because I also work through these things. I can't sit here and, and say that that's it. I'm now the perfect beacon of self-compassion. Of course not. So self-compassion is not unambitious. It's not lazy. It's not weak. It's not self-indulgent. It's not pitiful. It's not selfish. These are all myths. So give us an example of what being self-compassionate looks like. Like maybe you can give through a common mistake that we make or maybe something that we beat uh, a lot on, then how we can probably sort of redirect that or change that narrative and, you know, instead of being too critical of ourselves, maybe start practicing self-compassion. You got it. You explained that so beautifully. I'm always listening to your words and it is about redirecting. That's it. And, you know, that is the ultimate skill. Just just for a minute, let's just pause and, and sit in awe and wonder. Everyone who's listening to this right now, just push pause and notice how our unique human ability is that there's millions of bits of information right now that we can pay attention to. Right now, I could be looking at how beautiful this tree is up there and the leaves on there, or I could be looking at the papers on my desk that I need to do, the contracts that need to be signed. But that is amazing, isn't it? That's our ability to redirect our attention. And this is the essence of mindfulness, self-compassion, that they're very interlinked and very closely related. And every day is training. Neuroscience tells us this. Every day we practice at redirecting our attention onto what we wish to grow. And we move our attention away from what we do not wish to grow. You know, it is as simple as this. It's very challenging. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is as it's simple as this. So what a lot of people, I'm going to take an example because a lot of people um, forget that, let's say if you're critical about others, the world, a lot of people forget that actually that too is harmful. People say, well, I'm not, I'm not being critical about myself, but I'm criticizing someone else or blaming someone else. I'm blaming the world in my head. And let me just explain this phrase. When you criticize, complain, or condemn, you are both the attacker and the attacked. There's a neurochemical reaction that goes off in our mind when we start to think negatively. Why? It's because Negative thoughts are amazing. They're designed to keep us safe. So they are helpful. They serve a purpose and a role, but it's like Velcro. Negative thoughts are like Velcro for our mind. They're sticky. And the more we practice that, the more difficult it is. And you've, you've been around some of these people, right? Where they, and it's very, very hard. You get so used to practicing a certain way of thinking. It becomes very hard for you to see a different way of going about things. So let's say, for example, you're at home and your partner is late for dinner and this triggers you. Okay. You start to feel some anger, some frustration, some blame, some shame. Now, what I encourage everybody to do at this point is push pause and listen to the voice that comes after the trigger. 
Okay, so research from Harvard, Jill Bolt Taylor, says that an emotion in our body and our brain will only last 90 seconds. This is so profound, guys. The emotion only lasts 90 seconds. So the, the blame, the shame, the anger, the guilt, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. We all experience that. But the story we attach to that, the self-talk that we go through after that, maybe something like... I always do this. Go, go ahead. Why, yeah. don't, why don't you work through it with me? This is going to be more fun if we work through it together. So you're, uh, someone's late for dinner. What's the self-talk like for you then? Yeah, I mean, it could be something like, hey, this person doesn't value me much. This person always does this to me. And that always is such a destructive, like, you know, Tom, like you, you said that, you know, never, ever this person ever respects you and that's such a such a destructive thought that you can plant on your head right exactly and i'm going to vulnerably share because i've worked through a lot of these things as well so for me i realized that when i followed the thread of my self-talk back and back and back and back it came down to just a few a few things which is that am i valued am i respected am i loved am i appreciated these are the things for me and they, I can pick out specific instances when these meanings were created. You know how powerful this is? Because like I said, again, neuroscience, anything in terms of memory, anything that we do, we say memory as, you know, a, a past event. That's how we use it in layman's terms. But to a neuroscientist, a memory is anything that we know how to do, <laughs> you know, whether it's writing as a memory, thinking that the way we um, view ourselves can be uh, consolidated in memory. And we go from short-term memory to long-term memory. And that's, that's called consolidation of memory. But what we now know from neuroscience is that we can change memories by revisiting them. And this is why compassion is so powerful, right? Because you're more likely to be able to change your memory for the positive, from suffering to growth, when you're in this self-compassionate space. So, I had these beliefs, you know, I'm not valued, I'm not cared for, I'm not respected. And you can see now how, let's say if my wife, I, I, I ask her a question and she doesn't respond, you see the story that then comes up and everything tenses up, you get angry, you get, you just don't, you don't understand me. You don't get me. <laughs> and we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. We've all done these things. But it's just a story. So are you also saying that compassion help us? resolve conflicts yes absolutely that's a fantastic takeaway uh bj you're doing a wonderful job do you know why it helps us resolve conflicts let me let me go through my three a's of compassion which i kind of mentioned earlier but with that patient complaint after the patient complaint i started to read up and i read a work from the dalai lama's translator who also runs a course at stanford university on compassion cultivation training. And these three A's are kind of drawn from that. The first is, first A is an awareness of suffering. Okay. So you show an awareness of suffering. The second A is you show an agreement with the meaning of their circumstances. This is the understanding, the common humanity element of things with a phrase like, just like sense or just like me, you're just like me. And then the third is action taken to relieve the suffering. Okay. So awareness of suffering, agreement with the meaning. And last what action take to relieve the suffering. So now you can see how this plays out in a conflict, right? Your partner, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your loved one, they're getting angry with you. Just like you, they are feeling some negative emotions. And you felt negative emotions too, right? 
So you dig a little deeper, you try and understand what's the circumstances behind them being angry. And you might say something like, I hear you, I, I, I hear you're upset and just help me understand. Can you share with me a little bit more about that? And then they might share. By the way, this is an important thing to mention. Sometimes our physiology is a bit too hupped up for us to even be able to find the reasons for why we're annoyed. And in that case, you just, it's just space and distance. You stay, try and stay emotionally unmoved. And then once you're both in a bit more of a calm space, you can try and explore the reasons. And then this is a, this is a really powerful phrase. Okay. Once you both have the point of a conflict is not to win or lose. It's just to understand. And when you understand, it's an amazing seed for growth, right? So for example, I shared with you that. Um, the story I had in my head was that I'm not valued, respected, loved. So if I share that with someone, then they can somehow understand that if maybe they don't acknowledge me, that that might affect me more than it affects them. That's the story in my head. So you, you're both trying to understand one another, but the phrase at the end, which is the most powerful seed for growth, is I feel, then the emotion, about the situation. And then this is the bit that a lot of us struggle with. I would like, so it's really soft. It's just saying the change that you would like in the future. And this is, this is something that, you know, I work through with, with my clients, but also with my loved ones. I feel about, I would like. I think that's a really, really, you know, powerful sort of phrase to say like, you know, this is what I feel and this is what I would like. Um, and that's, I think is a respectful way to put how you feel and what you would like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as many people know, using the word you, that, that implies separation. We, we basically grow when we feel connected, when we feel like we're not different and we're, we're understood, we're cared for. Again, just think back to as a baby, you know, imagine if you were just put into one side and not cared for, if you were different, you wouldn't have grown. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't be here. So it's so deep within our physiology, our psyche, that that's very important. If I am way too compassionate with myself, say that, hey, BJ, it's all right. You failed. It's all right. It's okay. Let it be. Be a little kinder to yourself. And then something else happens. It's okay. Leave it there. Don't stress. You know, let it be there. If I'm doing this over and over again, how self-compassion and accountability because i want to be compassionate with myself and i don't want to be harsh on myself at the same time i want to accomplish and achieve results without being too hard and harsh on myself how is that possible and thank you and you articulated it beautifully i think it's a, it's a really big myth in the personal growth world i know a lot of people are here because they want to be better and i get that I, i'm i'm like that too but let me just deliver one phrase and I want, uh, you know, I tattoo this into my mind. Don't grow because you think you need to be better. Grow because you love to grow. Don't grow because you think you need to be better. Grow because you love to grow. You see how different that is? You see how you, you can enjoy the process? This is, this is ancient wisdom. This is essentially what the Bhagavad Gita tells us or in, from China, the Tao Te Ching. It says, do your work, then step back. This is the only part of serenity. But so many of us, we, we, we get quite, and you know, this is something that I've had to profound, it's been a profound shift for me. So people think 
self-compassion is without action. And remember, it's, it's not, it's, it's this three-step process. So you are right that you do forgive yourself, but you also ask the question, what can I learn? What do I need? You see how this is etched into the growth mindset. See, self-compassion, it separates the person and the behavior. Many of you will know Carol Dweck's work on the two main mindsets. Essentially, growth mindset leads to better health, reduced anxiety and depression, better success across really all the, the, the domains and fixed mindset. It doesn't. Why? Because you separate the person from the performance. This is what self-compassion does. It doesn't say you are wrong. You are a problem. You are not good enough. It says, okay, BJ, that behavior, it could have been better awareness of suffering, but guess what? You failed. Hey, I heard Peter Diamandis say that he got 150 no's before he went and got 10 million for the XPRIZE Foundation. So well done. You're on the right path. You got to know you failed. That's okay. Now, what can I learn? How can I move forward? So growth mindset, we see how self-compassion leads to growth mindset, right? Growth mindsets, embracing challenges, persisting in the face of setbacks, being inspired by other people's success, learning from criticism and seeing effort as the path to mastery. These are the five core principles of the growth mindset. And essentially, self-compassion asks the same question. It says that I'm going to grow because I love to grow. I'm going to be my best friend. And I can still have goals and be ambitious. Yeah, I don't have to beat myself up along the way. I'm going to bring in one little bit of neuroscience. I hope you guys love the neuroscience. I love it. So I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) So this is a study from uh, Finland, from Helsinki. It's a super cool one where they, again, it's about functional MRI scanners. And they train people in compassion. As always, they show them images of suffering, put them through a functional MRI scanner. Now, this was really fascinating because they saw the people trained in compassion. It not only, as we usually know, lit up the the joy and reward areas, but it also lit up the supplementary motor cortex. So it primes you for action. Compassion primes you for action. If you look at the brain and you look at someone being compassionate, you are ready to move. You want to actually move into action. This is how it relates so nicely to motivation and it keeps you going on the goal. Anyone will know this. If you're an entrepreneur, change maker, you're someone who's studying, you know your skill doesn't lie in getting it right first time. I mean, come on, this is crazy, right? It's just not true. It's practice, 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 practice. What's the biggest block against practice? Well, it's our self-criticism and rumination that stops us from practicing. I'll share one more story with you. Recently, I was learning how to handstand via some online courses. I love to train and I get into calisthenics and I thought I'm going to learn how to handstand. Handstand in 30 days. I thought, great, I'll be able to do it. I failed. Took another course. I failed. Took another course. I failed. Nine months of me trying to do the, the handstands. And I asked myself, you know, what can I learn? And like many people, I was undercommitted. I was doing other things. I, I didn't have like multiple days of handstand training. I didn't have a coach. So I invested in a handstand coach and he helped me see things that I couldn't see. He got me videoing myself. I didn't want to do any of this stuff. I was like, I'm not doing, I'm not doing the videos, but I (laughs) resisted it. But what happened after about six months of practice, 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 and I've recorded myself hundreds of times. I failed thousands of times. Well, 
and not every time now, but I, I've hit 10 second handstands. And I would have never done that if not for self-compassion. I would have given up way too soon. I think that's a, that's a great uh, example. Um, and also, you know, you said you want to sort of achieve the results as well. And, you know, you want to be ambitious as well. At the same time, you don't want to beat yourself up. Is that also in some way related to sort of being focused on your action and enjoying the process while not being too obsessed with the outcome and really lowering the expectations? Like what also Buddhist teaching sort of says, right? You really lower your expectation. You don't stop your work and, you know, compassion. Like, so lowering the expectation, doing your work and being compassionate. Yeah, thank you, BJ. So basically what you're asking is, um, does being compassionate help you focus on the process, right? That's what you're saying. I mean, guys, I know that many of you know this, but I'm just going to say it because I need to say this to myself. But there is nothing else apart from now. And we really have no control over whether that client's going to say yes, whether you're going to get that that book deal, that podcast guest whether your partner's going to say, you really don't have control over that. But you know what? That's so liberating. You have amazing control over the shift of your attention. You have amazing control over what you say to yourself. You have amazing control of your daily habits. So, you know, there's a fantastic quote by Lauzet, and it, it, it's really guided my whole blog, everything that I do, which is, what's your thoughts? For they become your words. What's your words? For they become your actions. What's your actions? For they become your habits. What's your habits? For they become your character. And what's your character? But it becomes your destiny. I think the biggest problem we all face is not knowing where to focus the most powerful resource that we have, which is our attention. That's beautiful. Um, so tell me, you know, how at this time a lot of us are stressed and anxiety level. I mean all time high right now right in the, we are all are, we all are going crazy is there any practical tips that you'd like to share on how people can sort of manage anxiety and using whatever you have shared so far in this conversation i'm i'm all about making it practical i share you know we shared neuroscience we shared the wisdom but ultimately growth mindset neuroplasticity it's all about practices it's all about what you do day to day so let's make it really simple i just want to share with you that something something really cool i started to collect some data on the people that i was coaching and the practices i'm going to share with you now have resulted in people on average forming 10 new positive habits 100% of people shift their negative beliefs they 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 create they create 10 extra hours in their week because of the space they have to think. And but this is the one I'm most proud of, is that we've um, inspired £35,000 in meaningful donations to, to causes. And that, that for me is... So what I'm about to share with you, I, I share it with a lot of love, also with a disclaimer that, you know, when you really lean into this, it's extremely powerful and, and very, you know, really has a lot of potential for you to feel more joy, freedom, and love. So if we think about the three aspects of compassion with others or yourself so awareness of suffering agreement with the meaning and then last of all action taken okay so possibly the most important thing for you to do for anyone to do is to become more aware of their emotional state okay how do you do this well i have an alarm it goes off on my phone every hour and all it says is check in now here's where we go deeper and it gets really freaking interesting really awesome right because i'm just like you guys and i ruminate 
I think about the past and the future. Everyone does this. In fact, Harvard shows a Harvard study shows about 47% of the time our mind is wondering. There's nothing wrong with this, but at that moment you check in, it comes up on your phone. You ask yourself, how do I feel right now on a scale of one to 10? Or you might use a word, joy being joy, love, freedom being 10 and one being despair, hopelessness, shame. And then when you score yourself, you then ask, what was I thinking about in that moment? And here's where it gets really interesting. You will find, and I challenge anyone to disagree with this, but you'll find that when you're anything less than a 10, it will be because you are thinking about the past or the future. (laughs) So it's back to this process. And so the name of the game is presence, 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 presence. The more present you are, and presence feels like you feel alert and, you know, you'll feel like you have good energy levels when you get into the present moment. You'll feel open, no resistance and open to everything. And you might actually feel like a swelling of your heart or love. This is how the present moment feels. So alarm on the phone and asking yourself one to 10, how you feel. And then am I thinking about the past or the future? Very, very powerful. If you want to go to the next level of that, you can then, when you start to think about the past or the future, just ask this really powerful question, which I learned from a a teacher called Mandy Morris, which is, is this even mine? Wow. Is this story Mm, even mine? Really powerful. Most of them made. It's not ours. Very powerful. Yeah. And and this, I'm not saying that um, you absolve yourself from all responsibility. Of course, you can choose to respond in whatever way you want to that thought. But a lot of the beliefs that we have, they're, they're here. They're in our lineage. And you can, it's a very quick way to shed some beliefs. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's the awareness. I, I'm just going to stick with that because I know it's, I've gone quite deep, but it's a very powerful practice. Now let's actually talk about, we mentioned just like me. I really want everyone to use that, just like me, just like me. Or if you want to do it the other way around, when someone's speaking to you and you're wanting to be compassionate, three words, this makes sense. Always say that authentically, but honestly, if you've understood somebody's reasons for suffering, it will make sense. There's never a time if you actually ask someone what's going on, why they're suffering, it will make sense. So let's talk about the the actions. Now, I'm going to split these up into to three main groups because I'm a big fan of making things easy to remember because it's it's a challenge, right? We're busy and we're stressed. So we've got auditory things. We've got visual things and we've got kinesthetic things or movement things. And all of these self-compassionate practices are designed to slow down our heart rate, our breathing rate, engage what's called the rest nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. They slow down our brain waves. They get our neural chemistry into more care and love with oxytocin and endorphins. So auditory, and this may be And this is actually very interesting, but we know this from ancient wisdom, it's been studied, that chanting, things like om, words like om, or there's a variety, I know many of you will know a variety of other chantings or humming or even vooshing, this sound, has been shown to um, engage the vagus nerve, which again slows all of those biomarkers, which I just mentioned. That's an auditory thing. But you know what I do sometimes? Is I just listen to some great music. Yeah, I mean, I love just coloring thing. And this is something that I've, you know, discovered really, really, uh, you know, very, very recently. Like this planner of mine came with one page of coloring sort of thing 
a month and all i do is like once a month i just you know when i do that i'm completely at that moment there not thinking of anything else just like oneness you know i got to feel that i've never thought that i you know i'll i'll discover something on something like coloring <laughs> doodles or something this is great this is great so this this would be something in the visual do what can you think of anything bj in the movement category that might make you so one of the things that you know i used to do when i was in in my college and i needed to sort of de-stress from my exam uh you know pressure was like just turn on really loud music close my eyes imagine as i was on stadium performing yes. on the stage and i would imagine thousands of people in front of me and just go crazy you know as if i was the one who was there in the concert yes. you know i mean that would just change the energy and you know it, it was just amazing yeah Did guys, do you know, I, I'm just going to say this to every single person here who's listening, and I say this for myself and everyone, we have no idea how powerful we are. Just think about that for a minute. Think about how at any moment with training, you can shut your eyes and you can imagine yourself being anywhere that you have been before, or sometimes even imagine the place you haven't been before. Think about how absolutely incredible that is. And again, if we look at the brain, we can see that our imagined experience and our reality isn't really that different. and if you see it from a electrical level or a biochemical level it isn't that different so this is this is fantastic it's so underutilized imagination and i would strongly agree so um auditory music kinesthetic would be any kind of movement a, a good one i like to do is sometimes i just go and put my feet in the grass and um i just just kind of grounding i sit there um i may do some breathing there i may practice some handstands anything that i like any kind of movement that just it just feels good you know if i watch my kids squats i mean i love it young yeah. squats they're always moving they're dancing yeah. they're just moving their body it's like it, it just we take life so seriously you know like we take life way too seriously i appreciate if you're in the office you don't want people to look at you weirdly so in that case the thing to do is just touch So recently um did a talk at Mind Valley University it was wonderful I really enjoyed it and this was the thing that stuck which is just a hand on your heart you can do that and no one will think that you're weird or anything odd's going on if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed think about what your mother or your father used to do for you when you were little you got picked up you got nurtured so a hand on so there's there's a few specific places hands on hands hands on heart hands on stomach or even hands on face these are all very sensitive positions i love hugging myself like you know just wrap your hands around you know yourself as if you know you are hugging yourself and that's a good one as well it's a huge one it's a huge one and and the last so we now we done auditory we done movement visual nature nature knows it's, it's got amazing research this isn't just we we guys right there's great research that shows you know you being out in nature naturally reduces cortisol your stress hormone and actually has effects on your immune system when we measure immunoglobulins in the in the saliva and you measure it in the blood incredible stuff natural killer cells which help fight off viruses and help ward off cancer improved in nature but here's the thing if you're living in a city or in an office or an executive you can't get out in nature even just looking at pictures of nature or i see you've got a beautiful plant behind you having plants around you it has a beneficial effect remember the you have the power in in that moment you're feeling overwhelmed you've checked in you become mindfully aware now you have this great human ability which is your ability to choose a different response 
So I hope that helps. So the check-in, the just like me, and then thinking about the actions with visual, auditory, or movement. This is like gold. This is just super, super powerful information. And I know that everybody who's listening, and if you guys go back and start implementing this, I, you know, I'm sure you guys are going to definitely you know, see the change because I have felt like some of those things that you've said like completely change the way that I've been you know, thinking and feeling at that moment. And it's, it's really, really powerful. So we're towards the end of this conversation. Is there anything on compassion that we haven't discussed yet that you want to sort of share with the audience? Yeah, there is. I'm going to add just one more thing to that because I know people will what, listening to this are like, Nilesh, I'm already doing those things. And what I say to that, and I say this with love, but you can always go deeper. You know, you can always go deeper. Are you really going and, and trudging up the stories? I'm doing this every day. Can you share what makes you uniquely gifted? Can you share how, what makes you feel in, in, a, in a good feeling? And are you able to maintain those good feelings? Is everything happening with synchronicities around you? You can always go deeper. The, the one point about compassion I'd love to share is that this ultimately the purpose of our, our life is to live a life of purpose. But what is purpose defined by? Well, it's giving. You know, in the, in the Buddhist text, it says, do everything with one intention, which is either indirectly or directly do things for the benefit of others. Now, now self-compassion is for the benefit of others because our emotions are contagious. And when you feel so good, you watch the people around you change. It's, it's really magical stuff. So compassion makes you more giving. And like I mentioned uh, with the results we've had from the coaching, we've had 35,000 pounds given in meaningful donations. So when you fully commit to loving yourself, loving those around you, you'll actually see some You'll feel more connected to the world and other people. And you'll start to see some really beautiful stories. I'll share one very briefly. One of my, my close friends who also does all my videos for me, he's incredibly gifted and he hears me speak about compassion again and again and again. And we have a laugh and a joke because we say these, these things again. He told me this just, just, just such a beautiful story. He said um, that he was out with his daughter the other day in, in the town and he went into London for the first time in a long time. And for the first time, he actually started to see more homeless people than he'd ever seen before. And he made it a point to, to give a coffee and his daughter, who's I think five, she went to go and give the coffee to the homeless person. And they shared that story with me with tears in their eyes. And it's because, you know, like, imagine you, after you listen to this, you start practicing, you just see the world differently. You see people differently. So I, there's a study about that, but I won't go into it because, you know, I'll get carried away. <laughs> yeah, know, no, no, absolutely. You know, um, and, you know, this is something that whenever we bring things to our awareness, all of a sudden it starts popping up, right? I mean all of a sudden the whole world that was always there starts being becoming more visible that we start noticing things that we haven't and i think that's what awareness does to us real quickly i'm going to shoot you some questions and i want you to like answer them like a rapid fire okay what inspires you to do everything that you do my son yeah my son had uh you know i just said that instinctively that this is a story i didn't share but he he started to have um developmental struggles and with his 
problems with his brain development. He wasn't, he was slow to speak. He had behavioral problems. He was screaming randomly. And that, that really inspired me. And now my daughter as well. They both inspire me to be the best I can be. And I tell you what, if anyone has young kids, they are the, the greatest tools for presence. <laughs> because the moment you're thinking about your past or your future, they're screaming or they're doing something and it's there to, to bring you back into the present moment. So my son really and my daughter, who's one, they both inspire everything that I do. Yeah, for the past few months, just got a small pup and nothing close to human child, but I know what you are saying. Like this kid just puts me on my toes the whole time so i know what <laughs> <Yeah>. you're saying <laughs> it's very yeah. similar having a puppy and a, and a child it is actually very similar and you know what you, what you come to realize is all they want from you is your loving connected presence but that's a lot that's, that's a, a lot, lot yeah, right? that's a lot and maybe i'm just getting prepared <laughs> maybe i'll be better prepared when i have the actual human child <laughs> yeah um, you will you will three things that you think you would have done differently if you were to start this journey all over again? Wow. Number one is I would have committed more to compassion. So now I, I'm, I've really gone deeper within it and I, I just love that journey. But uh, I, at the start, I started to have all the same things I shared with you. With the, will people, I started to think about what other people would like. Would they like it if, do people really want to know about compassion? But in my heart, it was always a thing that was making me come alive. That's, that's number one. I would have fully committed. Number two, mistake if I do it differently, would be enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. There were periods when I started on this journey, like I said, that I was growing because I was like, I need to be better. I need to be better. And actually just grow because you love to grow because you enjoy that process because we don't know what tomorrow might bring. We really don't know. And number three, and this is one I'm working through right now, and mistakes is that never, never underestimate and uh, you know underappreciate your parents, your family, your caregivers, and your loved ones. You know, and I, I think it's it's easy. We sometimes feel the most pain from our families, and just never forget that the best marker of your personal growth. I'm saying this for myself more than anyone is how you show up with your families. What is the number one wrong belief that you held for the longest period of time about yourself? Oh, I'm glad you asked this question. That I was unlovable. And, you know, I say that when I knew I had loads of people around me that told me that, that they loved me. But until I really found the reason for that and I pulled it out, and now I can, I can gladly say it's different. But, you know, here's the thing about beliefs is that you can pull out the weeds, but they may still come. And that's okay. It's okay. That it's, a, it's continuous work. Um, so I think I know that I'm not alone in that belief. I know there'll be people, uh, listening to this resonating just like me. Yeah, absolutely. I felt that, um, as well. I felt I was unlovable. I thought I felt that I was not worthy and that was a big one. It took a lot of work to sort of, and like you said, you know, it's work in the progress. It's constant awareness and it's constant, you know, reminding yourself and redirecting to and and gathering the positive proofs that i'm loved i'm cared for i'm taken care of and you know i'm worthy and just you know giving enough of those reasons for myself to believe uh, you know those um i'm loving how you know open uh, you are in sharing 
uh, and you know how vulnerable this conversation is. Uh, this is this is really great. Um, Nilesh, you share crazy amount of content and compassion and you know high performance and how <laughs> people can become really better. Uh, there are more than like seventy ish videos on your website just around this topic and you know and i had a chance to go through some of those people can definitely go there to learn more i i know that we've just scratched the surface in this podcast there's so much that people can you know dive deeper into every single aspect that we have uh, sort of discussed people can definitely go to your you know videos on uh, on your website they can go on your instagram and linkedin i'll link all of that on the description of this episode other than those are there any books or any other resource that are on top of your sort of list where you for the people who want to go deeper and you know uh and understand this topic that you want to you know direct to wow great question really really great question yeah i'm i'm thinking right now because there are so many so many books that i love and i think for me i i must recommend one of the really old spiritual texts like either the Tao Te Ching or the Bhagavad Gita I read the Stephen Mitchell translations of those and I've read them multiple times at times when things are hard I I go back to them and that gives you clarity like nothing else because don't forget that this is wisdom from thousands and thousands of years distilled so that's that but about self-compassion I would really recommend and I actually interviewed her last night and it's a book by Shauna Shapiro She's a Stanford neuroscientist, and the book is called Good Morning, I Love You. Uh, the subtitle is uh, Practices to Rewire Your Mind for Calm, Clarity, and Joy. I, I like that one because she explained things so simply with so many nuggets, and I'm sure if anyone reads it, they'll, they'll hear what I was talking about today. Super. Great suggestions. And we have done an entire episode uh, for the listeners who are interested in going deeper on Dao De Ching concepts. We have done an episode, 126 episode number 126 of this podcast. Listeners, you can go back and listen to that episode about Dao De Ching. And there's a lot, you know, we, we go deeper into that. So which is which is amazing. Okay. So here's the last question. Imagine you are standing in a stadium and this is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world and there are millions of people on that stadium and you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life what would be your message i think i would go with what i've said already that's authentic to me which is don't grow because you need to be better grow because you love to grow and give with all your heart this is what you're here to do to give your gifts that sit within all of us that sit innate and be kind to yourself be kind to yourself because you never know who's watching who's listening you never know what tomorrow's going to bring so these lessons are extremely powerful be kind to yourself on that note dr nilesh satguru Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was such a great conversation. And I know people who are listening to this conversation are as grateful as I am for you bringing these amazing insights and wisdom for our audience. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I must say as well, the way BJ structures the podcast and the way you've asked the questions and drawn out stories, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And you've made it practical as well. So, you know, you guys are very lucky to be listening to, to BJ interviewing in such a good way. 
thank you so much and you know that's such a reassurance that because and that's something that i need as well because i often go into that cycle of am i any good as an interviewer and you know sometimes you know hearing back from the guests and also the listeners that really really helps so thank you so much really appreciate it thank you so much thank you so much for listening to this episode of the inspiring talk i hope you found a lot of value in this episode we have the inspiring talk community on telegram this is where you get to interact with me and other listeners of this podcast also i share a ton of content like the book that i'm reading the content that i'm consuming podcasts that i'm listening and so on and also you can share your feedback on making this show better i'll put the link in the description of this episode and i can't wait to meet you on our telegram group in the inspiring talk my idea is to bombard you with some of the best insights on personal transformation from the greatest minds and i need your support to take this show to a wider audience if you enjoyed listening to this episode do share this with at least 3 people in your network who can benefit from this conversation i'm sure they will really appreciate it as always thank you so much for listening i'll see you in the next now go out there and do something inspiring